Welcome to Smart Creation, the podcast, an invitation to explore the potential of sustainable fashion. Every other Wednesday, Adrian, your host, talks to key players in the fashion industry to discover new products and understand the challenges behind offering more responsible fashion and learn the solution available today. This podcast is brought to you by Première Vision, the leading event organizer for fashion professionals. To find out more, go to www.premiervision.com. Discover and enjoy. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening Smart Creation, the podcast. Today, I'm very honored to welcome Livia Firth. She's the founder, creative director of EcoAge. And you've got so many other projects uh, working on. Um, my very first question is, could you please introduce yourself? I will. Hi, everyone. It's lovely to be with you, Adrienne, as well, and get to know you. Um, as you mentioned, I, I'm the one of the co-founders of EcoAge, which is a, a, lead, a full circle consulting and creative agency, which is specialized in integrated sustainability. Um, we have been operating for now almost 14 years, and right. we have 14 years experience in um, shaping sustainability strategies. And, you know, I think we have seen it all. We started our company when no one was talking about sustainability. Mm -hmm. We went through the phase of having to, you know, dealing with sustainability when it was just a, a box to tick in CSR reports. And to today when everyone talks only about sustainability and there is a lot of greenwashing around. So um, we feel a little bit like the grandparents, you know, in the, in, in the fashion market, at least. All right. Um... I would like to understand, um, how do you define yourself? Um, are you an activist, a professional agitator, uh, uh, a consultant? Um, how do you define yourself? Um, well, I am all of the things that you, that you just said. Uh, EcoH is a very, you know, particular agency. It's very unique in the way that, because we offer a 360 degrees services we you know as i said is integrated from building the business supply case and strategy to working on the supply chain to then communicating doing event and working with influencers or celebrities and and now digital a lot of digital communication and content creation i think i have to you know i first and foremost i am probably a consultant but mm -hmm. uh, you know But also what drives each one of us inside EcoAge is a real passion for changing the world. And, and we are all activists in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, so we are not, you know, we are not there to help companies greenwash. Let's put it that way. Okay. And, 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 we, and part of the work that EcoAge also does is not only with the brands and with the companies in consulting, but it's also in our own way to, to push the agenda of sustainability forward. So to activate change and both a legislation level, we have done project with the EU, uh, you know, at the EU parliament level, Um, and within, you know, global framework of communication, like the Green Carpet Challenge, for example, the Green Carpet Fashion Awards um, or the Renaissance Awards, which is the last venture that we mm. launched last year. 
All right, uh, we're gonna we're gonna come back uh, to 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 those um, initiatives. Um, what has been your your Eureka moments uh, that made you join the fashion sustainability uh, cause? Uh, my the moment that I yeah that every that changed everything. Well, first of all, we opened EcoEdge because of my brother, who is twelve years younger than me, and he's the one who had the whole idea about EcoEdge. Mm-hmm. So um, I helped him. He's twelve years younger than me, so at the time I helped him as a younger sister, but uh, older sister, but also as a producer. I was producing documentaries at the time, which is yeah. something that then we continued doing with EcoEdge. But the moment they changed everything for me personally and also stirred the course of ecology much more into fashion consulting was when I went to Bangladesh in 2008 mm. as a um, global uh, ambassador for Oxfam, the NGO. And when I was there, I got smuggled. Uh, I was with Lucy Siegel, a British journalist, and we got smuggled into a factory that was producing at the time for a big um, supermarket mm-hmm. fashion and um and what i saw I changed my life forever because you know i arrived at the factory even at the entrance there was a an a, a guard with a huge rifle and my mind immediately went like oh, am i entering a prison or a factory what what is this and then you know you got in inside the factory and every floor was crammed with these women who were terrified even to look at me in the eyes. There was no ventilation. There were bars at the windows. This was, you know, a few years before the Rana Plaza in accident, let's call it accident, that killed more than a thousand people. Mm. That was in, you know, in 2013. So once you experience that level of slavery, really, and, Mm. but, but, you can't come back and pretend you haven't seen it, you mm. know. You can't not start asking questions about, hold on a second, who makes my clothes? Is it these women that I'm, I'm enslaving, basically? And also you can't not understand that sustainability is also about social justice and it's not only about environmental justice. Mm. And I think it's one of the things that since the beginning with EcoAge, we've always, always been campaigning about promoting and making sure that, you know, we communicated that the two, the social and the environmental aspect, mm. have to go hand in hand. All right. Thank you. Um, I would like to talk about the definition of sustainable fashion. This is such a, uh, as we say in French, a mot valise, a, sweet, a suitcase word. Uh, where we put a lot of things. Uh, I would like to understand what is your definition of sustainable fashion, and 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 um, and I would like to understand what has been the evolution of sustainable fashion over the last fourteen years, uh, what it was fourteen years ago, and what it is today, and and what is your vision of what it should be in the in the coming uh, years. Well, let's start by saying that there is no great definition of what sustainable fashion is, um, which is a huge problem. But if you look at the dictionary, and I always like to go back to the meaning of the words, um, the word sustainable is something that it is is what it says. It sustains in time, right? Mm. So for something to sustain in time, you have to make sure that, doesn't exploit otherwise because exploitation is not sustainable 
Um, and, you know, as someone said many years ago, a CEO said, any CEOs or business leaders that doesn't understand that, that you know, and doesn't put measure against exploiting materials or exploiting people, you, you will always have a very short-term thinking in terms of business because at some point the people you're exploiting will, will revolt against you. Or and the materials that you're exploiting and the land that you're exploiting, explo- exploiting, sorry, will you know w- won't be there anymore. So um, you have to put measures in, in place. So sustainability, sustainable fashion, for me, first and foremost means fashion. So therefore, garments that last in time. So is the opposite of uh, consumerism which goes fast as a cycle. So fast fashion is totally unsustainable. And also some sustainable fashion has to mirror the word, res- the word respect for people and for planet. So that's a quite a long explanation of what sustainable fashion could be um, or, and definitely is for me. Mm-hmm. In terms of how it evolved through the years, you know, as I said at the beginning, when we opened EcoAge, you know, we had even to convince companies that sustainable fashion not only existed, there was something that it wasn't a trend, but also that it wasn't like hemp and sandals, you know, and going around with a sack of potatoes instead mm. of a beautiful cloth. Yeah. And I think at the very beginning, for sure, and that was one of the mission of the Green Carpet Challenge was to counteract the idea that sustainable fashion was not glamorous. Mm. As if sustainability has anything to do with design. I'm, I'm sorry, if a design is awful, it's not because it's sustainable or, or non-sustainable. It's just because the designer is not good, mm. right? So, um, so, But that was a huge prejudice at the beginning. So with the Green Carpet Challenge, I think, you know, what revolutionized that whole concept that you could have incredibly glamorous clothes Mm. that were made with fibers that were sustainable and had beautiful stories behind them. Um, But even then, then, you know, through the years, as I said, sustainability then started to be just, you know, something that you have to tick boxes on a CSR report because every company had to do a CSR report. Mm. and that was, I, I think, the beginning of the, actually uh, when we started to do real and proper work as a supply chain because a lot mm. of companies were only looking at their immediate remit of their operations without looking at the supply chain and, or the sourcing of those fibers, for example. Where, do they, where does your cotton come from? Mm. Where does your synthetic fibers are processed? You know, all these questions. And to... Today, you know, that we know a lot, there is a lot of communication around it. Instead, it's exactly the opposite. It's like, how do you police it and make sure that the communication is true to, you know, what it really means and doesn't get, you know, hijacked in the name of trends like circular economy or or, or things like that, which are completely you know, fantastic solutions, but they need to be integrated. They need to be done properly. They need to measured with you know we need to have science targets um which we don't have in the Mm. fashion industry and most than anything we don't have scientists that have established those methodologies we have 
you know, self-developed by the corporations, self-developed methodology tools that no one else is validated independently, you know? All right. Uh, uh, it makes me think about something, you know, uh, in the fashion industry, uh, I'm getting used to hear that uh, there's no one way uh, of being uh, sustainable. Uh, there's several ways to be sustainable. Are, are you are you agree with that? Or, or is there a way to be sustainable? And what should a brand do to be sustainable? No, I agree with the fact that because if you agree on the basis that there is no definition of sustainability. You know, um, sustainability means everything and nothing. Yeah. But you also uh, understand that there is no one solution for all, mm. right? So you always have to look at each company is different. Um, if you are a small brand, it's so much easier because you are, chances are that you are completely in control of your supply chain. You know exactly where you source your fiber from. You know exactly where you produce. You know the factory. You know the people that you work with them as partners. And so by the time you have developed your looks and you're ready to sell them, you know the whole story. But when you are a big company with supply chain across the globe, where you have a, you know, cotton sourced, as we know now, you know, in, you know, slave camps in China, mm. you know, but you didn't know about that. And then, you know, it got processed in Dubai and with zip made in, you know, somewhere else in Turkey and then assembled in Italy. And it's made, it's made in Italy. Hmm. You know, it, it's so complicated. Then you have to do a different kind of work to assess your supply chain and to make sure that you you go back in control of it which is something that is the biggest issue, I think, today for a company is that is how divorced a company is from their supply chain and their manufacturers mm -hmm. and, and how they, they work disjointed. So there is no partnership with their suppliers and their manufacturers. I see. Um, According to you, where should the, the pressure come from? From the states, from the company themselves, from the consumers, um, when it comes to accelerate this, this uh, sustainable transition? I think, so there are three stakeholders, right? There is yeah. the governments yeah. that need to regulate. There is um, it's businesses. It's Yeah. Yeah, there is the businesses who need to be accountable and regulate internally seriously and measure in the correct way. And then there are the citizens who, unfortunately, we're called consumers who have to, you know, use their wallet um, to vote. Mm. So to, to reward brands that are doing good, basically. We have a huge power. So... These three stakeholders all have three different remits. I always like to push much more on the business guys because today we live in a, in a society, in a world where businesses some, are so much more powerful than governments. And you have businesses like Walmart who, whose GDP is, is bigger than the GDP of a country, mm. you know, their profits. Mm. So, so you have to, businesses have a real, real, Um, responsibility to 
to drive the sustainability conversation forward and make sure that they are accountable. But, you know, that depends on this shareholders and CEOs and, and all of that. I read a very interesting article today, actually, mm-hmm. um, which um, I'll try and find it as I talk to you, because uh, that there is, there's been a lot of discussion about how the Gen Z who is entering the workplace now, mm-hmm. they're really changing companies from within because their values are completely different and they're all on sustainability. And, you know, there is a company today was circulated with this company that um, is I- I- incredible that is called um, Toward and is a online fashion platform which has decided to limit the number of times consumers can buy from its platform to 12 items annually. And it's extraordinary. And you think, Mm. oh, my God, this is like if this is a business that has actually decided to take ownership of the issue over consumption and educate the consumers and say, you can only buy on us only 12 times per year. Sorry, you can't buy more. Hmm. And you think this is really, really clever and cool. And, And I wonder how, you know, the younger generation in particular will respond to that and whether they will reward that business for taking this lead you know mm-hmm. hopefully mm-hmm. they will mm-hmm. definitely my, my this is a, my question is a bit linked to to that is how do you how do you um uh, make the customer aware of um uh, of how you should um con- 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 um how you should uh, buy clothes uh what you should buy i mean my question is, how do you make sustainability um, a bit more sexy that, um, that it is today? I don't think you need to make sustainability sexy because mm-hmm. I think I think this is, uh, I like to think that it's completely unsexy to be unsustainable, you know, and particularly today, particularly after two years of pandemic, particularly after all that we know about so many issues, I think... If you're still buying fast and furiously, you're really uncool. Um, but you're right. I mean, no one walks with an encyclopedia in their hands. Mm. You know, when they go shopping, that says this brand is good, this brand is bad, yeah. this fiber is good, this fiber is bra- is bad. And that's one of the reasons why a few years ago we launched the 30 Wears campaign, which is an hashtag on social media, hashtag 30 Wears, which Basically, it's this very, very simple solution for the consumers, let's call it, which when you enter a shop and you want to buy something, ask yourselves, will I wear it a minimum of 30 times? If the answer is yes, wear it, buy it. But you will be surprised how many times the answer is not really. Then put it back and don't buy it. Because the problem is that we have been programmed today to buy. It's almost like... um, an addiction is like it's an instead of going out with a friend and going to a park or going for a coffee, we go shopping. You know, it's like and we need to buy a dress for a party or for that occasion mm. or just because it's affordable. So they change our um the relationship with buying completely compared to like 20, 30 years ago. 
Mm. And so we buy without thinking. So if we could do one thing to start thinking about that gesture and change our relationship with it, already it will be a huge transformation, Mm. you know, because I always say that we wouldn't be here talking about sustainable fashion if fast fashion didn't exist, you know, and it's, it's fast fashion has changed everything like fast food, but with fast food, everyone knows that fast food is bad mm. and fast food is bad for you. It's bad for the environment. It's bad for everything. But with fast fashion, magically, they, no one, you know, a lot of people still haven't realized how bad it is for mm. the People who produce it in slave condition and for the environment because we throw away the clothes as fast as we buy them, you know. Otherwise, we would need five houses just to host all the clothes that we buy in fast mm. fashion for mm. in a year. Um, I think you worked on the initiative Make the Label Count. Um, what, what is this exactly? Um, so Make the Label Count is a coalition that we, um, we are part of and we, we, we help bring together um, of organizations who want to ensure that clothing sustainability claims you are credible. Because what, what happened is that, as you, you know, some people know the EU, the, the parliament is shifting to a, a climate neutral and a circular economy. Um, so this also need, means that the products need to be more energy efficient, more durable, reusable, repairable, recyclable, etc. Yeah. Um, so because fashion and the textile industry have such a big environmental footprint, the EU Commission is now reviewing the sustainability claims on apparel and footwell and is exploring um, options, including a mandatory sustainability labeling for products. And it uses the what is called product environmental footprint, PEF, methodology to, to substantiate the claims. So what happens, though, is that magically the, the methodology that has been used for this PEF um, is all skewed in favor of synthetic fibers, which appear to be much more ecological than natural fibers, which when you think about it makes no sense because synthetic fibers – It's plastic. It's, yeah. uh, they come from oil and extraction. Yeah. So um, the coalition, basically, the Make Available Count Coalition says the PEF label is amazing initiative. It could be a game changer, but we need to make sure that the methodology to measure the uh, impact of the fibers is the right one. And yeah. it's not, you know, being hijacked by the oil and plastic industry, basically. Yeah. Um, so it's very important because, you know, finally we have a legislation being considered. Finally, the governments, you know, that we have been asking for a long time to act are looking at this. And then if it's not done correctly, it could be the end, really. Mm-hmm. Do, do, do you know when this will be implemented uh, and yeah. how this will work? Yeah, so the... Um, The commission has been working on the PEF labeling for a few years. And mm. because of the Make the Label Count last year, um, I think we convinced enough MEPs that, you know, the methodology needs to be reviewed. And now they are reviewing it. There is a lot of questions being asked. Um, and in the spring, they should meet again to, you know, um, 
to review the methodology again. So it's, it's a work in, in progress, but okay. and it's wonderful that these conversations are happening mm, mm. because we really need, you know, we need um, science-based targets and um, methodology. Um, and as I said before, until today, the industry has, has just evaluated itself on its own mm. Um, has done its own calculation of the emissions and impacts of different fibers and fabrics. And, mm. you know, no one in the fashion industry is a scientist as far as I know. Mm. You know? Definitely, yeah. We are lacking a scientist in the fashion industry. No. Yeah. Um, I would like to talk about material. I, I know that you are very much into it. Um, about what? But material, uh, just the material, you know, as we are... Uh, material. On, yeah, yeah, material. Sorry for my yeah. accent. No, I love it because we, you have an Italian and a French communicating <laughs> in English. is fantastic. <laughs> um, according to you, what are the most promising materials uh, to date? Um, well, it's, a, it's an interesting question. And obviously, we could dedicate an entire podcast about different kind of materials. Mm. Um For me, what I've learned through, particularly through last year, going through this PEF methodology and yeah. work with the EU Commission, um, is that it, so you can divide the world of fibers and materials into two, natural and synthetics. Mm. And as I said, synthetic fibers are completely unsustainable, are much cheaper, first of all, yeah. and they're completely unsustainable for the reason that they don't decompose. So when you go into a look at solutions like the circular economy, for example, synthetic fibers cannot be part of the circular economy. You can recycle plastic into a synthetic fiber once, maybe twice, three, but at some point at the end of life of that garment, you need to burn it. Um, so we made a, a whole short documentary of 12 minutes called uh, Fashionscape, a circular economy to go and look at this whole issue, in fact, of fiber related in terms of sustainability and circularity and We, we filmed in Nagana, in the mm -hmm. Cantamanto market, where every month you got 15 million garments that arrived there, secondhand garment. Only Cantamanto has 15 million. Imagine, you know, all the other countries, how many they receive. So mm -hmm. that gives you an indication of how much we, we throw away and how much, even from unsold stock, from brands, etc. So... In terms of fiber, all this unsold stock, all this throwaway fashion is mm. rubbish. It's total weight. It's rubbish and gets mm. burned with huge, huge environmental repercussion. Also, as we know, we today there is a lot of talk about microfibers and shedding, you know, at the washing cycles of garments and all of that. Mm. Um. For me, it's very exciting to look at also, you know, you have then the natural fiber, which have a whole lot of issues, but also promises. Because if you think about agri the one that are related to agriculture, like wool, you know, if you move into a regenerative agricultural system, then it is, could be immediately more mm. sustainable and, and, and it's exciting prospect. Mm. Um, So if you can regenerate, and even in denim, you know, like if you could regenerate denim, like one of the companies we work with, Candiani, is a denim manufacturer. Mm. 
they they launched a couple of years ago this new denim technology called Coriva, which is the first fully compostable denim stretch denim in the world mm. and it's incredible like you can plant it in your garden and grow flowers <laughs> you know it's extraordinary yeah um so that is exciting this this kind of textile innovation is incredible with natural mm. fibers mm. there is also a lot of other you know fibers that come from waste from the food waste um economy like you know, Pinatex, which is the re- pineapple leather, apple leather, you mm. know, mushroom leather. Um, they're really, really exciting. The problem is scalability. And, you know, mm. eventually, if we keep consuming at the same pace, yeah. every single fiber will be unsustainable at some point because mm. of because of the huge scale of it, the consumption. Yeah. Mm. So regardless of that, we just need to consume less. Yeah, yeah, that's the first thing to do, definitely. What's your opinion on, on leather? Uh, do you have an opinion on leather? I do. Um, I, in fact, we EcoAge, we we were the first one to launch the zero deforestation certification on leather in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, because following a report that Greenpeace did, I think it was. 2011 um, on deforestation. It's the first time that Greenpeace linked 80% of deforestation of the Amazon to cattle ranching and therefore leather, because leather is a co-product of of meat. It's not a byproduct. Mm. Um, And since then, the National Wildlife Federation and the Rainforest Alliance with the Sustainable Agricultural Network in Latin America, they work with the ranches to create a pilot project that took them a few years on whether it was possible to actually move cattle and uh, across the Amazon without chopping trees, basically. Mm. I learned a lot about the leather supply chain. I went to Brazil, We, you know, we... We, I've been to meet rancheros. I went to slaughterhouses, unfortunately, and tanneries, and um, to properly understand not only every single point of it, but also to understand from the people on the ground the mm. real stories. Because what you you can read a lot of stuff on reports, but yeah. to meet the people is so important. And once we establish that zero deforestation is possible. And if you do it in a sustainable way, mm-hmm. then leather is fine. It, you could argue that it's maybe even better than synthetic fibers used for bags, which then are going to be, you know, when it, they don't decompose. Yeah. The problem, once again, is the scale, right? So the, the meat industry and the for leather are one of the biggest contributors to carbon emissions mm. because we could like i remember talking to we went to um visit jbs which is one of the biggest meat packer and processor in, in brazil mm. um the, the sheer volume of of meat and leather that they process per month it will make anyone faint you know and but it's the same like it's the same with everything. I remember mm. going to Bangladesh and entering a factory that was producing jeans. It was an incredible factory in Chittagong. Mm. They were, they had ecological, like eco procedures in it. They were great with the tea, the staff. It was incredible. 
but only the factory in 2015 produced 3 million pairs of jeans a month. Mm. Oh only God. one factory. 3 million pairs of jeans one ma- in one month. How many up a year? And that's one factory in the world. So it's the same. It's like wherever, whichever fiber you touch, leather, like cotton, um, synthetic, anything, we produce too much. Mm-hmm. We throw too much. So it's, I think the number one issue today is that is 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 the volumes, you know, and 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 we have to really thinking about slowing down and degrowing in that respect mm. to then assess properly. With, as I said, with science based um, and proper methodology and target because you know. A lot of the measurements are, you know, in fibers, for example, one thing that is happening is that the impacts of each fiber is calculated per kilo yeah. instead of per wear. But, you know, as my friend Veronica Bates Cassidy says, clothes are not Kleenex. So you can't calculate the impact per kilo because you don't use them once, blow your nose and throw them away. Mm. You have to do the calculation per wear. Hmm. Because we are supposed to wear them multiple times, right? Um, Thirty times, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that that the wear should be included in the sustainability calculation, hmm. which is not currently. All right. Um, coming back on, on the yeah material and, and design, uh, how do you arbitrate between fashion um, style and sustainability between certification? country of production, um, type of material. I'm, I'm asking this question because I am a designer as well. And sometimes when it comes to choosing the right material, um, you know, we're talking about the end, about the price as well. Uh, sometimes the, yeah. the, 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 the choice of the material is, is very complicated. Uh, as an example, you know, in my brand, um, when you decide to go for um, a certified um, material, uh, God certified, RWS certified, etc. It takes so much time to to get the fabric, and much it, it costs it costs quite much more between two euros and five euros uh, per, per 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 meter. Per meter, yeah, it's, it's sometimes uh, very difficult as for 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 companies to to make the right choice. You are so right. And it's, again, it's one of the issues that we have today is that there are so many um, certifications and, mm. and and so many different standards to adopt and, you know, things that you get asked. And and how do you discern through that? And with EcoAge, because of that, last autumn, we launched our first ever report called the Great Green Washing Machine, mm. which you can download and the first part um, on our website, and we're about to publish the second part, which talks precisely about that. And, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, God certifications, and, like, it, it goes through every single certification to understand why one is better than the other, and are, are they still relevant? And, you know, as a designer, what should I choose? Because then that it, it, it also if my the person my consumer which is i i keep using this word that i hate if the person who buys my clothes doesn't even understand what it means you mm. know um so it's it, i think the first um responsibility for a designer like you 
is still designed for durability, right? Mm. When, when you design something and you create something, hopefully you don't have in mind, oh, let me design this really badly because um, and not in a great quality so that it doesn't last a long time and then they're going to buy another one, mm. right? You, you, you design something that you want that person who buys it to appreciate it forever, to mm. have it in their wardrobe forever. So the first thing that you will look like that you will look at, sorry, is the quality of that fiber, no? And and how it 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 you know how it it behaves on the body of yeah. a, a woman or a man or whoever you are designing for, and, and depending on what you have to do. And I think your role is also as a designer is. Because today there are so many options and, you know, even if you go through Premier Vision, there are so many different fibers today and so, you know, and even a lot of sustainable fiber is, do you have an alternative? If, if the fiber that you have chosen, you know, that is highly, highly um, unsustainable, mm. um, can you look for an alternative? Can you do the same look with another one that is more sustainable? So mm. if you choose, a, for example, on a very, very simplistic, if you choose a synthetic fibers, can you choose a, a, a natural, natural fiber? Mm. Uh, if you can design something with silk, you know, instead of synthetic, can you use the silk? And if it's more expensive and it costs you much more, how do you promote that dress or that clothes that you are designing and how do you tell that story mm. that as a designer and as a citizen and as an individual you have created that with durability in mind because I think part of your role is also to educate the person who buys your clothes that what they're buying is a treasure is a memory mm. you know it's something that they can keep in the wardrobe forever and if you buy it 30 years old, you can still have it at 50 or 60 and look at it and say, I remember, mm. I remember when I was wearing that dress and kissing that person for the first time, mm. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, how do you tell that story? And there is a, a, for example, there is a brand, a very, very small brand called Zazi Vintage, mm. funded by this woman called Jeanne de Cron uh, from Holland. And she's so, she produces with, you talk also about countries. She produces with this group of women in Pakistan and Afghanistan. Yeah. And, and they, she tells their stories to the point that every dress you buy from her has the picture of the woman who made that dress mm. and a message from that woman and has, you know, her story. And, and so when you buy that dress, you are basically owning it with her, with that woman. You know, you also carry that story. And it's so special. And the dress is expensive, but her life is precious. Mm. And, I, you know, imagine doing the reverse. Let's do the reverse exercise. So you are selling a dress made of synthetic fiber and produced in Bangladesh in a terrible factory where the woman doesn't earn a living wage. You have to put a, a, a label on your dress saying, this dress is made with a fiber that is highly polluting. It's come from the oil industry. And the woman who made it is, this is a picture, and she got paid $60 a month, and her child cannot go to school because she can't, she can't afford it. Mm. And, she can't, and she barely arrives at the end of the day without eating, with eating mm. every day. 
Imagine having to do the opposite, right? It's like, it's a nice exercise, I think, for when you design something Mm. um, and how you can communicate it. Fantastic. Um, You uh, recently co-founded Ecoverse. What it is, uh, what it is about, what's the genesis and what is the vision of Ecoverse? It's not a, a, it's it's just a division of EcoH that we opened um, and we launched it because only in the last few months, I mean, the number of, not only of articles, but also of activation from brands in terms of digital fashion and metaverse and NFT and all of that. And and we were, as I said at the very, very beginning, as grandparents of sustainability, (laughs) we were a little bit like, whoa, what's going on here? It's like they are promoting and communicating this technological revolution as hugely sustainable. Digital fashion is so sustainable. I was like, is it really? Like, like, should we just, like, let's go and assess this a little bit. So this division is set to advise our clients uh, how to enter this metaverse, NFT, digital fashion world, making sure that they respect both the environmental and the yeah. social standard. Um, because there are serious questions on how to enter this world, you know, and how the relationship that we as a society have and will have mm. with te- with technology. And it's almost like at the very, very beginning of the internet we, uh, or Facebook, at the very, very beginning, we, we got sold this myth of democracy and utopian and that it would have put all the world together and in a beautiful way. Well, fast forward to today, look, everything we know about how our data is sold and controlled. We are all part of a big, you know, um, marketing exercise. And we are even, you know, we now know that even elections have been, you know, piloted and regulated by um, algorithm. And, you know, um, so... And now that we are into this new mo- moment and we're entering the v- virtual world, do we want to learn the lessons that we, we now know? Or should we once again, you know, have ethic, ethics and sustainability as an afterthought? Like, mm. oh, shit, we should have thought about it before. Yeah. Um, so we, we gathered, you know, our CEO, Simon Whitehouse, uh, as a, a, a quite a, a lot of knowledge on it. We gathered experts like blockchain luminary Ore Van Herdin, who's also an expert on human rights and global supply chain. We partnered with AnamXR, which is a, an industry-first social metaverse platform, which is um, the, the mission is to build the metaverse with sustainability at its core. We are um, partnering with the Cardano Foundation. We minted with them the NFT that we created as awards for the Renaissance Awards winners. Um, there is a lot of work to do, both on the environmental side, because the sustainability claim is is not correct, because no one knows the impact of digital fashion in creation. Like, there's no measurement. We, it doesn't exist. Hmm. Um, and the social and the ethics in terms of... W- we will be mindful in terms of inclusivity and diversity hmm. and, you know, currently is skewed towards uh, you know people with disposable income you can enter if you have your headset and so if you have money to buy these goggles and stuff otherwise you're completely left out Mm. um 
but also digital fashion, is it really sustainable? Is it replacing real clothes? I don't think so. For the mm. moment, it's just a game yeah. for your avatars. But you still get dressed in your real life. So don't call it sustainable fashion. But what is interesting is that there is an opportunity for sure in this that for brands to diversify their business model so that they, in a moment where they need to degrowth and they need to produce less, they can still monetize and make profits with an alternative reality. And so act more as a media industry, mm-hmm. right? An entertainment industry, like Gucci as Gucci Good Game, for example. Fantastic. But don't sell it to us as it says a replacement of real fashion, mm. you know, because it's not. Fantastic. Very interesting. Um, a few, a few um, last questions. What makes you feel optimistic? Are you optimistic about the future? I am very optimistic. I'm an eternal optimist. Uh, but also what makes me hugely optimistic is this young, this new young generation and young leaders. This is why we also did the Renaissance Awards last year ahead of COP26. You know, there are, if you look around you, there are so many young leaders today who are not even talking about sustainability anymore. They're just doing it. They yeah. they have the solutions. Mm. They know exactly what to do. And as I said, you know, even the articles that I read the other day or the one on Forbes today about this new, you know, online platform, this new generation that will enter the workplace, they, they will buy consuming it very different way and they will lead the industry in a very different way. So, I'm optimistic because it's not up to us middle-aged people anymore doing the battles. I can retire soon and I'll let you know the young <laughs> do the rest. <laughs> All right. Do, do you think about any um, initiatives you you really love it? In terms of what we do, Dikoe? No, or in, in terms, terms of in general. Of, yeah, in terms of general, in terms of uh, new business model, new generation, a, a new yeah brand made by, the, by a new generation or new initiatives? Well, I think if you go and look at the 12 winners of the Renaissance Awards, each oh, one wow. of them, each one of them is on something that is incredibly exciting. All um, right, we'll, we'll do. And it, I, it's, it's almost like you can't even single out because there are so many. We are, Even choosing 12 was, was so difficult because there are so many. But really, like, I think it... it It is so um, invigorating when you open your mind and you look outside of your usual kind of remit. Um, whether you're a fashion designer and you look at different fibers or different, you know, cultures and different ways of creating and different way. Like there are so many things. Yeah. I, I don't know. Even, you know, I don't know. Even all this new technology about how you can prototype that today, right? Without mm-hmm. having to use real prototype and and which created huge kind of emissions and unsustainable back and forth and, you know, even in textile manufacturing. Now you can do it digitally. It's fantastic. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Let's move to the quick rapid fire question um, uh, part. Um, what do you want to close the door in our industry? Fast fashion. Of course. What do you look to get uh, inspired? Uh, 
whatever industry, what whatever things, what do, what yeah, whatever media do you look at? It's um, the team medical age. They're all young and they keep me in check all the time. <laughs> what is the last piece of clothes you bought? I can't remember. I think, oh. You know, I can't remember I, I, because I don't buy a lot. I think he was uh, uh, for sure because uh, I am um, um, my like uh, almost every year I buy one black sweater. So I'm sure last autumn I, blo I bought one black sweater. All right. <laughs> <laughs> from a factory, from a factory. here. Oh, in from factory. That yeah, that produces them. So it's, it's nice. Fantastic. Um, who is the personality you would like to listen to in this podcast? Um, you know, uh, I would like, I would love to listen to a garment worker from a, one of the producing country. I think it would be great to listen to their stories. And I think we should include many more voices from the supply chain into um, the education for everyone in the fashion industry because they tell really special stories and once you reconnect with them you it, everything comes together beautifully in your sustainable world mm, definitely all right thank you so much for your time it was a pleasure thank to have you in the podcast thank you adrian it was lovely to talk to you too and thank you everyone else for listening all right see you bye 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 Thank you so much for listening to our podcast till the end. If you want to support this initiative, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you follow. Just click on the subscribe button, rate it five stars, and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to share the podcast on your favorite social media. Thank you for listening to Smart Creation, the podcast, an invitation to explore the potential of sustainable fashion. 